And welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam, but I'm not Zach. And I'm introing the show because the first minute of our recording of this episode got destroyed somehow. So what you're about to hear is me stop talking and then we're going to join our show as it already is in progress. Enjoy! Yeah, Island Nations probably should have uh, more secure governments than this. Listen, we would all hope. Um, I love how when you go to Madripoor, you're allowed to be racist is what I understand. Oh, just you're allowed. It just goes right out the door and says, oh, yes, we can we can do a racism here. It's okay. Everyone will understand because it's Madripoor. Uh, That's not something I've noticed, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to take your word for it. How does that writers do that? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, have you not picked up on that, Adam? Because I feel like it, it shouldn't surprise anyone that uh, white writers trying to write about a fictional South Asian South Asian island may um, not have the most cultural sensitivity. I, I don't know. I don't either. I am curious. Uh, I don't recall. Did Akira Yoshida write any Mad Report comics? uh does shadow Kitty, is, does is Kitty, yeah shadow in the flame yeah Master shadow in the flame that was gonna be my my first question um let's see because there's thor son of asgard which i didn't read electro the hand i didn't read x-men fantastic four i did read apocalypse wolverine soul taker sounds like it takes place in mad rapport hey it very well could be oh no uh kitty pride shadow and flame takes place in japan oh okay well you know still do you believe we wasted Paul <laughs> Smith for this? It's a shame. It really is. Uh, some of that. Hey, looks Want to know something nice. really, really funny? What's that? In Wolverine Soul Taker yeah. issue two. Okay. There's a note that says special thanks to CB Sabolsky. Oh God. He thanked himself. Listen, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just telling you what the man did. What in the world? All right. So, um, current. EICs aside, uh, we have three tales of Madripoor for you this week, and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put a put away the fake Asian writer and go to the fake Asian country, uh, <laughs> and talk about talk about Madripoor here. And do you know why we're doing that, Adam? Thanks to viewers like you Aww. and Jorel Kennard. If you want to be like Jorel, who says that the first stories here were very near and dear to him. Uh, as a as a child, which folks, you got to stop doing that to us. It's not fun <laughs> for you. I can just promise you, don't send us bad stories from your childhood. It's gonna upset you. Uh, and I'm really sorry about that. Not sorry that Jarrell decided to support the podcast. Keep putting out the fantastic content that we strive to do every week, reaching deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks. Toss a couple of coins into the coffers of Comics XF over on patreon.com slash Comics XF. Uh, we'll do an episode for you. Uh, we'll talk about how great people like J.J. McCorvey and Joe Simpson and Christian Smith, who have all joined the Patreon family, uh, be like be like them. They seem neat. 
Yeah. Uh, and hey, you remembered to to shout out our new patrons. So the, good job, Zach. <laughs> it, Adam, I think it took me a month to remember. <laughs> well, look, now you're not in big trouble anymore because this story is called Big Trouble in Madripoor. Okay, here's the thing. If you're going to do a Big Trouble in Little China riff, you got to get the syllables right. It, it <laughs> frustrates me so much that people in comics don't have any sense of meter. Well, uh, this may be ignoring the, the rhythm of Big Trouble in Little China. However, um, this does feature Terry Dodson drawing Paladin for two issues as basically as Harrison Ford. So there's some movie reference there, I guess, a little bit. Um, I've not seen the film, but I do believe that it was Kurt Russell. It, in yeah. Big Trouble in Little China. I know. It, it, I didn't Kurt, say it Kurt Russell from from uh, Escape from New York. <laughs> Kurt Russell from those Santa Claus movies that Tim Allen's not in. The one and only. Um, but uh, no, this story uh, is Generation X issues 53, 53 and 54. 54 written by Jay Faber uh, with Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson on art and colors by Kevin Tinsley. Letters by Comicraft's Liv Agrafiotis, I think. I think I said that right. I was going to let Greek you name right. Agrafiotis this time. Yeah. Uh, what a weird story this one is. <laughs> Take your pick. Is it because there's Harrison Ford Paladin or is it because there's Street Fighter Mortal Kombat Rising Suns? <laughs> Let's start with Paladin. Okay. Adam, are you a fan of the Marvel character Paladin. I mean, he's fine here. He's a mercenary for hire and um, he pops up every once in a while. I think he has a very hey, Paladin. I think Paladin sucks. He doesn't have a good costume. You know, he looks dumb. Paladin just continues to constantly suck. And I don't know why we keep using him. He's not good. He's just like a crappy dude. <laughs> Didn't he show up in Marauders at one point and uh, they kicked him over overboard or was that some? No, else? no, no. You're thinking of the executioner. Oh, and yeah. Batrock Zilipa. Oh, it was Batrock. Here's yeah. the thing. Batrock's way use... cooler than Paladin. Yeah. I mean, you could use Batrock the Leaper if you want to have a mercenary. <laughs> There's so many better mercenaries in the Marvel universe. If you need a mercenary, then stinking Paladin, who's dumb and sucks. Yeah, uh, I think this is doubly problematic in that the two issues we have here, we have Jubilee just head over heels smitten uh, with a crush for this guy and his movie star good looks um, that, you know, will allow him to convince them to go to Madripoor to help him out. Yes. I don't like it. You said two things. Yeah, I don't like it either. Did I say two Adam's things? Kind- what did I do? Yeah, you said two things. And then you then you and then I just said, said one thing. thing. I, I don't you just know. said the one thing. It's fine. Happy New Year. It's fine. <laughs> happy, happy 2023 again. Adam, can I, as we, before we get too far away from Paladin, can I share with you my favorite picture of Paladin ever? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's. let's uh, this is from look. the cover of Captain America 390. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the Superior Stratagem. Ron Lim draws it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Superior Stratagem is the comic where uh, <laughs> Modam and... Uh, Dr. Nightshade tried to trans Captain America. Yes. They We've tried. talked about it recently on the podcast. We did. We did. And uh, this is a great cover. He's sur- He and Paladin and Cap are surrounded by uh, villainesses. 
And uh, Paladin is saying, easy, ladies. There's plenty of us to go around. To which Cap replies, shut up, Paladin. <laughs> Perfect. Just the best thing to say to Paladin when he is on screen is shut up, Paladin. Yep. No yeah. one likes your style. Uh, listen, I don't like Paladin. Um, I don't like Paladin. You know, I do like Terry Dodson. I think his art here is uh, is really nice, and he draws everybody looking super fine. It's very clean with that Terry Dodson cheesecakiness that everyone loves. Like, listen, it's, it's a Terry Dodson comic. It looks good. It's like saying that a Frank Chow comic's not technically inept. It's great. Like, I get it. I don't know if I love Dodson, like, across the board as an artist, but that's a more personal preference. Like it's good. Oh, he's, he's an excellent artist, but I can understand that it's a, maybe a stylistic thing uh, as to yeah. whether you, you buy into it or not. Um, why do they go to Madripoor? I, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Paladin. Yeah. Yeah. Is tracking down a sword for Adrian Frost at this point. That's right. Uh, Adrian ha- Adrian has taken over the Massachusetts Academy uh, because mm-hmm. Emma ran out of money. Right, and she wants she wants Paladin to get a sword for her. We don't know why. Jubilee overhears this and is like, "Oh, we'll go with Paladin. We'll help out." Um, and she convinces most of Gen X to go with her because Emma's busy and Banshee's not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. So it's, with the uh, exception of M, who just flat says, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds bad. Well, but Monet is in her own defense, also dealing with the, the fallout of the fact that she has learned who the two kids in a trench coat were. <laughs> no, Adam, here's here's what you don't remember, because people don't remember the specifics of how weird the Monet retcon is. It's remember if you remember. Originally, Monet blows up or whatever and you find out that monet is two kids in a trench coat right then you find out that penance is actually monet and then penance eventually like breaks out into regular monet and the two kids in a trench coat become the new penance yep so it's dumb yeah so they're they're just back into penance form now and monet kind of feels bad about that yeah, so uh, that's what she's also doing. Monet's acting exactly like. Listen, those two kids in a trench coat did a great job pretending <laughs> to be their sister. Yeah, because you wouldn't they were know spot the on the whole time. It's almost as if it wasn't supposed to be like that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so the the group that they're going to steal this sword from, the the people protecting it, are the Rising Suns, who bear striking resemblances to, as I mentioned before, video game characters such as Blanca or Chun-Li or Raiden. Um, they they sure do look like they just came right off the screen in my local arcade. They are weird. They do suck. They do this thing that Marvel has continued to try and do over and over again. It's like, well, here are the, here are the Eastern heroes. Here are the Asian heroes. And nine times out of ten, they are Street Fighter Two level racist caricatures. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> like you're not you're not kidding. They they're either like a sumo wrestler or a you know a a babe samurai or whatever it is. It's it's usually just sort of clunky. Uh, they have updated to have an anime girl yes. on this team. Yes. Um, 
I mean, they're not like the worst things I've ever seen in my life, if only because Terry is drawing them. But um, they're, but they're... tell me, tell me one of their names, Adam, oh, without I don't, looking. I don't tell know. me one of their names. I have no idea. I just yeah. keep thinking of them as their their video game counterparts. So I, I'm not sure. I know they're yeah, the Rising no. Suns. They're the Rising Suns. You know, characters like Dragonwing and <laughs> Jet Black and Nightwind. Nightwind's the one that looks like Chun-Li. Yeah. Uh, or Noi or Sign or Spoil Sport or Tough Love. Tough Love is kind of funny. I thought uh, his character is, you know, this giant guy who just like can't be bothered. You know, he's he's he's, he's fun. He's the most fun out of all of them because he has a characteristic that's not just his costume. Yeah. It's one note, but at least it's something. Yeah. A little bit of dialogue is terrible costume in this really bad head sock. So, um, okay. But, but there is one of the better mutants that have ever existed, which is spoil sport, who is an anime girl with roller skates who can roller skate, like defying gravity. Here's the question, Adam, and they ask this in the comic and do not answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is her mutant power to be able to defy gravity while skating <laughs> or are the skates allowing her to do that? And no one says anything about it. You know, I'm coming around on these guys. Um, Jet Black is basically a motorcycle transformer. Um, that's kind of cool. Jet Black is a motorcycle transformer. <laughs> Again, they are just like your first idea of a white dude coming up with all these characters. Sure. But in, in our uh, patrons uh, defense, I can see why if you read this as a kid and you saw a guy transform from a guy on a motorcycle into a guy with motorcycle transformer uniform, you'd probably think that's pretty badass. I mean, fair <laughs> now story-wise I... there ain't nothing really going on here. Uh, Viper Viper does show up at one point. Yeah. Generation X gets the sword. They yeah. fight. Guys, they fight on a bullet train. That's what happens. Huh. Yeah. That's, uh, That's pretty it. much it. And Emma Emma's not too happy. Um, Emma thinks it's bad. We do get the twist at the end of the issue of why Adrian Frost wanted the sword. Yes. It's the sword she killed her husband with, or had her husband killed with, and she wants to use her psychometry powers to feel his final death which is just a weird they want us to know that adrian's a bad person but we already know that because she's emma frost's sister <laughs> yeah she's uh looking to relive this this final murder moment and um you'd think she could just i don't know she was there didn't she literally her husband no she had someone else do it with that blade that's the oh thing. okay okay well, but literally the only Frost sibling to turn out okay is Christian. And the only reason that happened is because Marauders somehow dropped or for some reason dropped the plot where Christian was possibly scheming against them. That's true. Just completely just forgot about it. And... The pandemic did a lot of things. <laughs> I don't want to say I forgot. I would like to say they had to make some tough choices. Yes. Uh, we haven't seen Christian in a while, so who knows? Maybe you think he was so. in the he was in that Bobby Solo series. That was like, you know, I say that that Marvel Voices Unlimited comic, Infinite comic. That was at the start of last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been a while. He's not a regular cast member. All right. Um, so that is Big Trouble in Madripoor. And why don't we try and rank it? No, I don't want to. <laughs> 
you don't wanna we that's a that's our show buddy we didn't come I, all the way across the Pacific to uh, not rank these these comics. Not rank the 729 comics we have on our ever-expanding list of X-Men comics from best to worst, with the number one comic being The House of X, The Powers of Ten, the number 50 comic being Excalibur, The Sword is Drawn. Why did I go to 50? We normally do 100s here. 100 is X-Factor, The Longest Night. 200 is Uncanny X-Men 159, that Dracula one. 300 is Generation X Volume 2, 6 and 7, The Auction. Over, what did I do? 400 now? Are we done at 400 now? Yeah, I think we're, we're at 300. 400. No, we're at 400. I counted. Oh, it's okay. Breaking Point from Uncanny X-Men, the Kieran Gillen story about Break World. Shattershot at 500. Number 600 is New Mutants, the Nova Roma arc. It's bad. I don't care what the people who like Celine now say. That's a terrible story. Uh, Mutant X Origins, number one, uh, is at 700. Uh, the Draco's at the bottom. I should, Adam, I should really, I know how to use Excel. Why don't I just have Excel auto, like, fill in which ones are at those numbers so I don't have to uncomfortably scroll through this list and have everyone listen to me draw out the state of the list. <laughs> it I'm going to really, do that. That would that would probably save me at least 15 seconds in editing because then I won't have to, you know, cut the, the pauses. But um, it is it is a good idea that we set up a function to to do those cells um where are we here are we in the the 400s i feel like i mean i liked this it's not terrible oh Um, i did not that's the that is my difference oh i am you think it's awful i think it's i mean listen i think it's bad really okay yeah there's no, no getting around it i do think it's a bad comic i mean i i liked it i liked looking at it and i i did thought it was sort of a fun romp i, I mean, don't was... think this is as good as do you think this is better than shatter shot uh, no comic. it's not it's not so we're definitely in the 500s here i don't think we're in the 600s um no that nova roma story is worse like um, this isn't as bad as the muir island saga of 522 it's not as bad as the muir island saga of 522 it's not uh it's not as good as enemy of the state at 509 no it's not uh but, but, but it's okay so we're, we're looking is it better or worse than ghost box from astonishing x-men that's at 514 right now i enjoyed this more okay yeah i did not enjoy it more than weapon x the draft sauron or the firestar mini all right well why don't we put it at 514 then let's do that this is our new 514 it is generation x big trouble in metaphor nice all right, so uh, you know we did a '90s thing, and why don't we go back in time a little bit? And uh, I think a lot of people associate the character of Wolverine with Madripoor, specifically his adventures as the thinly disguised Patch. We're talking about Wolverine one through three from Wolverine Volume Two. It's the Chris Claremont, John Buscema stories. Let's just start from there. This is not the origin of Madripoor or of Wolverine hanging out in Madripoor. That, of course, happened as the first story in Marvel Comics Presents. But this is directly following up on that. Adam, Patch rules, right? Like, Patch as a concept is great. Patch is, like, very much in the same vein as... Ben Grimm putting on a hat and a trench coat, right? Or Raphael the Ninja Turtle putting on a hat. And a exactly. Coat. Exactly. Like he's running into characters he absolutely knows and they're looking at him and going, hmm, who is this? Folks, 
we have done enough making fun of Patch and comics and how bad that design is, or, or that, not design, but that concept is. We need to go back around to, for the next decade, playing Patch straight, and then we can switch back again. Well, isn't there a Patch series going on right now? Like, isn't um, it? It ended a while ago. Oh, it was okay. a mini series that Larry Hama did. Yeah. Not my favorite Larry Hama comic okay. to come out in the last two years. Yeah, but you're right. It is an absolutely only in comics kind of phenomenon where someone could just put something over a very small section of their face. And especially when you have Wolverine's distinctive hair, his body, his his shape, his claws, and uh, who's that guy? I don't know. It's Wolverine. Yeah, it's It's very clearly Wolverine with a very, it's not even a big eye patch. A lot of times Buscema draws it and it's just this tiny little sliver of fabric. And you're like, what is wrong with people? It's just a little guy. It's just Clark Kent Um, glasses right there. Like it's classic. Yeah. Is this good? No. Is it bad though? I don't think it's bad. I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's what happens in this story. Wolverine is hunting for a sword. Uh, Well, he's, this is not just any sword, on Zach. Him. Come on. Are you talking about the Muramasa blade? The Muramasa blade, Zach. But not that Muramasa blade. And it's they call it the Black Blade, but it's not the Black Blade of the Black Knight that also drives you evil. This is a different, unrelated sword that Muramasa also made. <laughs> it is a Mur- Muramasa blade. How's that? This is... This is one of three Muramasa swords that Wolverine has had over his time. One of them was made in hell. One of them was made after Romulus killed his family. One of which is this thing. None of them are related except for Wolverine only knows one dude who knows how to make swords. And it's the legendary best swords man ever. Yeah. Um, I feel like a huge part of why I'm enjoying this uh this small arc which involves the whole first issue is basically wolverine kicking the crap out of uh human trafficker pirates wolverine does murder some pirates good <laughs> like just that part rules huge piles of pirates like he's just stacking them uh, their corpses upon his back it is wonderful um it's gonna uh depend on your enjoyment of john buscema's artwork so chris is chris claremont's writing this John Buscema yep. is is penciling. Al Williamson is inking. Uh, Tommy Orr's is doing the letters, and Glennis Oliver is doing colors. So we essentially have, you know, uh, three out of five. We've got an X Men team here, right? And um, I I love the energy that John brings to this book. Like there is a really fun vibrancy and and movement to the way that he draws his characters and especially his fight scenes that works really well with this. I mean. I've just, I've just never been a Bisema guy. Oh, okay. It doesn't matter if it's John. It doesn't matter if it's Sal. They just, it is so stuck in, in my mind. And I know that that's not, not the, even close to the only thing they did, but it's stuck in my mind as seventies Marvel house style, partly okay. because that's what they defined. It's not. And I know that the Bisemas were working since the forties. At Timely Atlas, Marvel, all that, uh, in into the nineties. But like, I I see I see John's work specifically as okay. He's the guy they got when they couldn't get the Neil Adams, the Jack Kirby, the Barry Windsor Smith, the whoever the big hot artist of the moment was. 
it's like Buscemi would be the backup for that in my mind. I mean, I can see it that way too. Necessarily fair, but yeah, I I think that's undercutting what his talent is here. You know, like the uh, the way in which he can do movement. I'm I'm just looking at a a page right here where a guy lunges at Wolverine with a knife and and Wolverine flips him onto his back and then slices through uh, another guy's necktie, you know, like he's just very capable at all of this and it works really well. It's interesting that you associate him with, you know, his obviously he's of a time, right? But even in this work, you can kind of see where Silvestri might be looking at this art and going, Oh, okay. I can kind of see, how you know how he's drawing people how they're you know they're constructed and you can kind of see some of the more cartoony qualities of Silvestri's work come out from something like this i can buy that yeah so silver samurai is a big part of this story (laughs) do you ever remember were you at the con where the convention where we were at a panel about chris claremont yes and somebody asked him a question about the silver samurai and what he thought about it and chris claremont said i don't have a single thought about the silver samurai i do not care who is that lady i always had him with i liked her (laughs) really the nazi viper yeah her that's right (laughs) love chris claremont what a guy folks if you ever get a chance to go to a chris claremont panel i urge you you will you will not have a better hour at a convention than listening to Chris Claremont go off. I, I highly disagree with this statement. However, we have had some good laughs. Um, Never regretted <laughs> going to a Claremont panel. Not once. <laughs> regretted tweeting about them? Absolutely. But I regret everything I tweeted about. So uh, we do have the Silver Samurai here um, who does see Wolverine and not recognize him, which is pretty great. Um, Wolverine is tagging along with um, an actress who used to be Jessica Drew's roommate named Linda McCabe because uh, Lindsay, you're talking about Lindsay McCabe. Yes. Lindsay. What did I say? Linda? Yeah. Lindsay Sorry, McCabe Lindsay. rules. Oh, she's and great. I love her. Uh, she shows up and okay. So this is one thing that the comic starts with that does lose me pretty quickly is they go to the princess bar. Uh, a Casablanca scene happens. And then, then they all show up. Yep. Very, very straightforward. An exact Casablanca it's, scene it's happens. Very accurate to Casablanca. Yes. They, they, she's looking for Patch, and the bartender pours her Patch's drink, <laughs> and they say Patch is the only man who can handle this. It's a Long Island iced tea. Yep. It's pretty ridiculous. It seems like Claremont like just discovered this drink and decided to write it into the book because. It's really silly. Wolverine would not drink Long Island iced teas. I don't believe that. Eh, if you wanted to get hammered, yes, actually. As everyone who drinks Long Island iced teas do. It's, do I want to drink as much alcohol as I can as quick as possible? They soon discover, after McCabe has uh, transformed into, uh, or changed into a beautiful gown to help bartending. Um, One note. One yes. note here that I have to make because it's so important to why I love Lindsay McCabe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lindsay McCabe then immediately has one of these drinks and spends the rest of her existence as an X-Men character drunk. <laughs> right. She has two. I think she she tries to drink Wolverine uh, under the table and ends up falling on her own butt. 
Um, Never stops being drunk after this. <laughs> but unfortunately, Jessica Drew uh, is in possession of the not the but a Miramasa blade and has transformed blade. into, you know, a, a sexy leather queen. Um, and Wolverine has to stop that from happening and get the sword and fight Silver Samurai. But then Silver Samurai can have the sword because Silver Samurai's power is sword power. Yeah. And Silver Samurai is pure. Even if he is evil, his intentions are like he is honorable is Chris <laughs> Claremont's thing. Right. Uh, we we don't mention that there's a whole cult of the Black Blade that does a Indiana Jones and the uh, Temple of Doom. Oh, that's true. That's it. Again, look, I'm not I'm not sure how much exposure Chris Claremont really had to the Eastern world. <laughs> I would argue little. I don't know. I, honestly, this is just I feel like this is fun. You know, there's a scene where. Uh, they're trying to get some answers out of some guys and McCabe pretends to go into the dark corners and murder one of them. And it just turns that out that is great that she just is like using her acting skills to scream like the, the man that she supposedly stabbed um, and comes back because she just happens to have some fake blood on her. <laughs> it's just... shocking. Shocking. No one. Chris Claremont is way more entertaining when he's writing this woman that he's interested in writing, then he is writing uh, a smelly man. So, uh, you know, Wolverine does end up being coming possessed by the black blade. He wears kind of this, this fun mask and costume. He's going to sacrifice Jessica drew and fight silver samurai. The end, right? Um, the end. Silver samurai gets that sword for a while. Yeah. I don't yeah. know whatever happened. Whatever happened to that sword? I don't know. Uh, I'm not worried about it. Uh, I enjoyed this. You're not worried about what happens to the Black Blade? Well, I, it seems very unclear as to... He probably just used it. I don't know. <laughs> Until somebody forgot about it. You know? You're looking this up. Does this have like yeah. its own Marvel uh, wiki entry? Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. It looks like it looks like Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri remembered that oh, he good. had the sword That's when Mariko Yoshida dies from blowfish toxin oh yeah yeah that's unfortunate and that's the last time we've seen it okay all right is it weird that i'm never going to forget that maruko yoshida was specifically poisoned with blowfish toxin i mean that does seem very specific so it makes sense why you would remember it never gonna forget it i'm gonna forget this story though (laughs) i don't know i enjoyed this i i'm not saying it's the most memorable thing in the world but uh i did enjoy it as a wolverine uh romp and I think a lot of that has to do with um, McCabe as a character and, uh, you know, all the Madripoor nonsense. And I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. It's definitely better than the Generation X story we just talked about. Is it better than the auction house story of Generation X volume two? Um, yeah, I think it is. It's not better than that Dracula issue of Uncanny then. So it's in the 200s. Uh, yeah. So what's what? This is not as good as 269 Dead Man Logan. No, 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 no. Um, it's also not as good as Hearts of Darkness at 277. Not as good as Man and Wolf from Captain America. No. Um, not as good as that time that Sauron didn't want to, uh, cure cancer. He wanted to turn people into dinosaurs. Where is that? That's, That's a 287. A, That's 287. A 287. Okay. Okay. Um, I think this is on par with like it's 
maybe 294 Secret Empire, the original with Captain America. It doesn't have as good of an ending as that. No, that's true. It's um, better than the Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino Berserker. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it's probably better than the Scavenger Hunt uh, two issue arc of New Mutants at 296. But it's not, it's not, and at 295 is the Shoots and Ladders arc of. Or the shoots and ladder story where they all go, the X Men go to limbo. So perfect, we have found it, Adam. We've perfect. done it. It's a new two ninety six. Love it, love it. All right, so uh, we've seen Generation X get into some trouble. We've seen Patch uh, make his way around, and uh, who do we have left? Uh, we're on a collision. Oh, uh, a collision between X twenty three and Doc N, the Dark Wolverine. Because. Uh, Dakin's in control of Madripoor at this point of continuity in collision. I, Adam, I have read, and I promise you, I have read every issue of the Daniel Way, Dick and Dark Wolverine. I don't remember every issue of Daniel <laughs> Way comics. I know that I don't like them, which is interesting because uh, this is this is collision. Uh, it's a crossover between X-23 and Dick and Dark Wolverine. Written by Marjorie Liu and Daniel Way, with art by Ryan Stegman, Marco Shishetto, and Matteo Buffagini. Mm-hmm. Dakin's, I think he's shadow running. Like Tiger Tiger is still the head, the public head of Madripoor, but Dakin's kind of taking over from the shadows. Right, right. So um, X23 and Gambit are here. And. Um... They are looking for secrets of her past. Oh, do you remember? Do you remember? This is a while ago. We talked about it. It's a it's that story where Laura uh, meets Mrs. Miss Sinister with. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. There. She found some clues there about the Weapon X project being restarted. That's it. That led her to Madripoor. Yep. Because wouldn't you know it? Dakin's working with Malcolm Colcord. Do you know Malcolm Colcord, Adam? Do you was remember it, him? Wasn't Malcolm from the X-23 mini? Where was Malcolm? No, from? no. Malcolm was, we. this is a retcon, but Malcolm was some guard that Wolverine cut oh, up real good yep. on his way out. And then he becomes the new director of the new Weapon X program and does kind of sort of make a lot of concentration camps for mutants. Mm. That was a real thing that happened in Marvel in the early 2000s. And we never talk about it because we don't want to talk about Frank Thierry comics. I'm fine with that. So essentially Dakin and X 23 are going to butt heads, but also kind of come to an understanding because Dakin doesn't respect X 23 doesn't even really believe that she is the clone of his father. Um, and they really have to come to grips with the fact that each other exists. And that's about as far as we get. Now, I want to I want to make something a little clear here, because if you're coming to this from a 2023 lens, you have a different view of Dakin than a 2011 lens, mm -hmm. which is when this comic came out. Dark Wolverine is the subtitle here. That's specifically coming out of Dark Reign, the story where uh, Norman Osborn becomes head of S.H.I.E.L.D. and turns it into Hammer, and it's, you know, a big thing in the Marvel Universe for a while. And Dakin was, he was on the Bad Avengers, that the Dark Avengers that right, Norman right. started. Uh, he gets his own mini out of that. Uh, and, like, he is very evil 
to start. Like, he's not a good guy. He is not a good guy in this comic. Even. Oh, no, not at all. So it's weird because he's he is a protagonist. He is not a hero by any means. And now he has pretty much moved into Wolverine's Wolverine's Jason Todd, who they still go on road trips with. Yes, uh, I do appreciate it's a, it, it. It's a cognitive dissonance for me who grew up knowing him as like just a dude who sucks. Yeah, and I'm I'm grateful that we have the new version of Dakin because he's um he's a fun character, you know, and and I think he's he's much more enjoyable in his in his current um form. But even here, uh, there is still fun to be had with him as an anti-hero. I don't think he works as a protagonist. Also, but, yes. But I think here he does work in this story because he works here as a, as a really good antagonist um, to X 23 and Gambit. And there's really fun scenes. Like when Gambit basically charges up his staff and just like burns off half of Dakin's face. And like, uh, you know, there's, there's good stuff happening here. It is. I think he makes, I think he makes for an interesting foil to Laura. Yes. In this story. Mm -hmm. And that that's the highlight for me is the Laura stuff. Uh, I like Marjorie Lou's X-23, though I think Laura's a little too, like, it's a little too, like, glum and just oppressively sad for me. Like, I'm not going to go back and, like, want to reread this for fun, but I get the appeal for a lot of people of this story. Because uh, it's about what Dakin's been working with Malcolm Concord, and then he decides not to work with Malcolm Concord anymore. Malcolm Concord has been turning children into Weapon X monsters. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Also, also weird that this is a comic where X-23 does very explicitly murder multiple children. Yeah. Uh, that's not great. Um, They've been turned into monsters. They were dead already. It is weird that she stabs a lot of children. She does. Um, she also just blows up the, uh, the Weapon X facility with her and Dakin inside of it so that they both become, you know, skin shredded monster skeleton people. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and have a little heart to heart at the end. So, um, I, I don't know, you know, I, I will say I really enjoyed Ryan Stegman's art on, uh, the, the X 23 issues. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. Um, I really enjoy Marco Shishetto's art on the Dakin dark Wolverine issues. It, it's, I think when you're going back and forth between the two, there's a little bit of dissonance, but there's a ton of dissonance for me, bud. Right. I mean, it you're going from these are. These are two great artists that to me could not be farther apart stylistically. Exactly. You know, the Dake, I, I think Chichetto at this point, um, this, he's not quite up to like the heights that he will elevate to by the time he gets to daredevil, but, uh, still incredible work. And it's very dark, you know, it, it, it's very high contrast, very, very, uh, heavy on the inks and, and the blood and the gore. So mm -hmm. it, it's definitely a contrast from Stegman's more cartoony style. Um, and I don't even know if on its own Stegman's work is really all that quote unquote cartoony, but uh, in comparison, it really does appear a little bit more, um, Stegman, Stegman's got, Stegman's got like, he grew up drawn after some Joe mad stuff and you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like, a Joe mad art Adams kind of thing to his line work. Yeah. He's, he's pulling from that. And it's just, I think there can be a challenge when you are doing a book or a crossover like this, but you want to retain the artistic talent that's already on the book. Yeah. I see the, I see the necessity of doing that, 
However, I don't know if you may be better suited from a casting standpoint to not do that and maybe find some artists that are more complementary of one another. Sure. Unless you are doing something like, oh, we're telling this from two different sides and the art's going to be reflective of that. This is just going from one story to the next and it doesn't work as a sequential piece. No. Plus, I mean, there's just not that much happening here. Um, I, I, I very much prefer uh, lose X-23 issues to the Dakin issues. And Well, are um, you telling me that you think Marjorie Lou's a better writer than Daniel Way? <laughs> 100%. Uh, so, you know, there's another bit of back and forth there that doesn't quite work so at the end of the day i think this probably would have been more successful if one of these characters just guest starred in the other one's book um Mm -hmm. probably dakin in x23 but you know probably probably the better choice yeah but uh you know that's just not how comics work when you have these two titles running and you want to cross over these children of wolverine so um i think this is probably the least successful of the three stories we talked about today i mean i would i I think it's more successful than the Madripoor story, but that's me. Then the Gen X story? Yes, yes. They're all Madripoor stories. That's the whole bit, isn't it? Oh, uh, well, I mean, yeah. All right. Well, we have that down at 515. Um, the lowest I will go is Wolverine Jubilee at 519, which I think is of a similar vein of not as good as you want it to be. Yeah. Uh, but not like I can see the appeal. We're, we're still in the same, uh, you know general area in the 500s this is not better than enemy of the state at 510 it's um, really not and though i think it's probably better than the marvel team up uh with havoc and thor but it's probably not as good as ghost box 516 then let's just put it there Perfect. let's put it right there adam because Little... it's the end of the episode <laughs> and we've got we've got a marathon recording session going up which uh Folks, in case you don't know what we mean when we say that, we mean we're recording half a Cerebro together. <laughs> so we've got our little Madripoor corner here on the list. And uh, nice job, Zach. Nice job, Adam. I'm really glad we got to take that journey. Yeah. And I'm really glad that Jorel Kennard uh, took us there. Uh, if you want to be like Jorel, listen to the top of the episode and do those things. It's yes, great. please. Super good. We all love it. Adam, what do you got going on? Um, I'm going back to school. I'm I'm taking classes, so that's going to be taking up a lot of my time. But if you guys want to follow me online, go to Instagram slash Adam dot rec. And uh, Zach, what do you got going on? And what are we doing uh, next week? Uh, I've got going on nothing. I'll, I'm going to be on a vacation with my family. Ooh. And if, if any of you see me at the Walt Disney World, do not interrupt my family vacation, please. <laughs> I don't think any of you will, to be honest. That would be a weird thing for the third most popular X-Men podcast to happen to yeah but just in case like send me an email i guess after and said hey we were in the same place at the same time i was like okay <laughs> i saw you on splash you mountain i don't want to ride splash mountain you can't it's closed not yet no i thought it was no it, it hasn't closed just yet all right never mind forget i said that i just don't want to get wet oh what a baby you don't get wet on that ride Come on. I hate getting wet at I hate getting wet at amusement parks. All right, all right. Hey, what are we doing? I don't uh, like riding Whitewater Canyon at Kings Island for that very reason. It's a very different experience. Uh, so, what what is our next episode? Oh, Adam, <laughs> you and me get the distinct privilege of taking taking our listenership through Ultimatum. You mean it's going to be our ultimate episode? 
No, we've made that joke so many times. Every time we cover the Ultimate Universe, we make that joke. It's not. It's just an episode. It is an episode all about Ultimate X-Men. It is not our Ultimate episode. It's not even going to be like our best episode that comes out in January. But it is going to be the one that you and me suffer through the most. So, folks, if you like those episodes, you're going to be in for a treat. (laughs) I can't wait until we pivot this into an X-Men 2099 podcast so soon. <laughs> Coming um, soon. Save us save us from having to talk about Ultimatum. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survive the experience. Get it!